And I'd like to ask you to open a Bible with me to our scripture reading this morning, Psalm 96. Psalms 96, 97, and 98 are the songs which are traditionally read on Christmas morning. As through the history of the church, these psalms get connected to Christmas. It's, it's most obvious to us because of our hymnal that Psalm 98, which you and I can sing as, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. It's most obvious to us that Psalm 98 connects, but, but these three psalms, which we'll look at this Sunday, next Sunday, and on Christmas morning, Christmas Sunday morning, reflect, on, reflect for us the truth that God has come, that the Lord reigns. He has come to rescue us from our sins. If you're looking for the passage in the Bible that's there in the pew rack, you can find this on page 592. Listen as I read Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. Let's bow in prayer. God of grace, we thank you that your word speaks truth to us. Lord, for those that listen to the reading and preaching of your word with, with a, a heart that is set against you in turning away from you, Lord, I pray that you would break through our stubborn hearts, that those who have not yet put trust in Jesus Christ would do so today. Lord, for those of us that are, that are gathered here inquiring about the truth of, of Christmas, about the reality of who you are. Lord, again, I ask that by your Spirit you would make yourself known, that we would understand your love and your compassion, your mercy shown to us. Father in heaven, we give you praise for the grace that is ours through Jesus. And so for those that are eager to hear your word and obey, Father, I pray that, that you would be active in our lives, exposing our sin, helping us to see and believe the gospel. Father, we come praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? That's the question famous musicians asked in 1984. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? They want to help raise funds to feed the starving citizens of Ethiopia. 
And a songwriter and producer comes up with the idea uh, of a catchy Christmas song, and, and he wants to cash in on the celebrity of these stars, stars whose names you still know, Sting, Bono, Phil Collins, Boy George, George Michael. It, 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 was, it was everybody who had a hit on the radio gathered together, and they raised $28 million with this song. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? Of course, the song deserves criticism. It was criticized even when it was first released. There's a painful sense of paternalism in the song when it says, will there be snow in Africa this Christmas? Yes, it's a big continent. There is always snow in Africa on the tallest peaks of the continent. And journalists expose the heartbreak that most of the aid sent to Ethiopia was intercepted by military leaders involved in the Civil War and never actually fed the people for whom it was sent. One of the songwriters, when confronted years later with all of these accusations and criticisms, finally conceded. He said, come on, it's a pop song. It's not a doctoral thesis. But it's a, a monumentous undertaking to think a song could change the world. A song released just four days after those musicians gathered to record it. The song's question is haunting when applied more narrowly to those in the midst of suffering. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? For our global neighbors trapped by war, do they know it's Christmas time? Not, not in the sense that can they read a calendar, but in the, in the sense that does the hope of Christmas ring true even in the midst of of suffering, when you feel the frustrations and heartbreak of life, do you know the hope of Christmas? I mean, it's almost irrational to think that a song can change the world. But that's the message of Psalm 96. The song of salvation sung by the people of God is meant to change the world not by the inspirational power of the song or, or the funds that could be raised by it, but by the action of God announced in the song. The Lord reigns, and he is coming. Now, Psalm 96, like the, the other psalms which surround it, serves as a call to worship. Look at the, the commands in the opening verses. Sing, 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 proclaim, declare. It's, a, it's an invitation for us to give praise to God, to exalt who God is and what he has done. But look again at verse 1, what, what kind of song we're commanded to sing. Sing to the Lord a new song. Don't just pick up the, the songs from the dusty shelves. Compose something new. Because, of course, it's, it's always right to have a new song to sing to God. We could never plumb the depths of God's holiness and glory. There's always something new for us to reflect upon. But a new song is needed here because God is doing something new. This is something we haven't seen God do before. Now that he has done it, we need to sing a new song to him. One Old Testament commentator, he, he translates the verse, he says, sing to the Lord a fresh song. God has done something brand new, and so we need, we need fresh words to describe his glory and greatness. First Chronicles 16, which you heard is part of the call to worship, it, which sounds exactly like the psalm that we, I just read to you. 
that wasn't a, a typo in your bulletins. It's that the chronicler took Psalm 96 and applied it to the time when David, the king of Israel, brought the ark of God into the city of God, into Jerusalem. Something new was happening, and so you need a new song to sing, a new way to declare God's glory among the nations. New songs should be sung when we encounter the Christmas story. It's why there are still albums being written. Yes, of course, they have to throw in a few classics so that you'll buy the album. But the, the musicians add their own compositions because the, the mystery, the beauty of what God has done at Christmas, it, 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 it cannot be, be fully understood even by the great songs we already have to sing together in our hymnals. God is doing something new. Angels are sent to announce the arrival of the king. The, the, the heavens themselves burst forth with praise because Jesus, the Savior, is here. This new song is a song that then is meant to be sung, we're told in Psalm 96, among the nations. Look back at verse 3. Declare God's glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. This is a song of universal praise. The nations are, are invited, are included to, to join in the salvation that God is now bringing to his people. This is a song for, for not just the, the Israelites, not just to be sung in Jerusalem when they go up to, to worship God. This is a song that should be sung among the nations. That God's glory has to be, be told there. His marvelous deeds proclaimed everywhere. Verse 4 tells us, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The reason that God has to be proclaimed everywhere is because he's the great God, the one who made us, the one who knows us, the one with all power. Verse 5 explains the, the contrast between Yahweh, the Lord, and the gods of the nations. Verse 5 says, For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. The, the, that, that phrase there, for all the gods of the nations are idols, is, is a play on words in Hebrew. The, the word for gods is Elohim. The words for idols is Elohim. It's just, it's just one vowel change. The Elohim are Elohim. They are literally, it's saying, empty, nothing. The, the gods of the nations are nothing and good for nothing. But God, the true God, made the heavens. Splendor and majesty belong to him. Now, it, it is sometimes easy for us to see the foolishness of idolatry, the foolishness of chasing after other gods when we look at other people's gods, the things that are most important to them. Maybe if you took a, a survey of, of world religions and you looked at some of them and thought, wait, they're, they're doing what? I mean, it's wood, it's stone. It, that's, that's how they're going to worship? And we might, we might critically look at, at other religious systems and say, well, that's foolish. But we don't really want somebody exposing our own idols. The, own, the, the, the things in this world that we say are more important to us than God. The things that, that we exalt. We ignore the danger of thinking that enough success will satisfy us. Or the foolishness of thinking enough stuff, well, that can make me happy. 
or the empty promise that if we gain control of our current situation, then we will be secure. The Apostle Paul takes the the truth of Psalm 96 and he says it directly to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, we know that an idol is nothing. I mean, he's actually just giving them a little Hebrew lesson. That's what it means. It means it's nothing. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. Now, to make such a a claim, whether in 1 Corinthians 8 or or in Psalm 96, can feel a little bit oppressive to us. There is only one God. There's only one way of salvation. Because maybe today you you would label yourself in a way that that would try and put you outside of the, the control of God. Maybe you would describe yourself as an agnostic. You're still figuring it out. Or, or more directly, you would say, no, I'm, I'm an atheist. I don't believe there is a God. Or, or you would say, I, I'm somebody who believes in the things you can see and you can touch and you can test. I'm a scientific materialist. But even if you attempt to define yourself out of relationship with God, as if he has no authority on you, the problem is you still live in the world that God made and you were made by God which means this claim that there is no God but one presses its truth upon each one of us. And and, and Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 8. He, He tells us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through, all, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Everything around you was made by God and you live for him in his world. And so will you acknowledge this truth? Because this, this claim that there is a God who has brought salvation to us is a claim that lays hold of each one of us. This message of salvation is, yes, exclusive. exclusive. There is only one way to be saved. There is only one true God. But it is also inclusive and in that it's to be widely shared with whom? People from every nation are meant to hear this good news. Everywhere, this gospel of salvation should be announced so that God can rescue sinners. Praise is to be given to God for rescuing sinners from among the nations. And what is promised in in Psalm 96, that God's salvation, his glorious deeds are to be known among the nations, is made clear to us at the very end of the Bible that it has come to pass. If you turn your attention to, to Revelation 5, the last book of the Bible, the fifth chapter, we're introduced to Jesus in, in the heavenly throne room. There he is described to us as the lamb, the one who, who offered himself as the sacrifice in our place. Like the Old Testament sacrificial lambs, Jesus is the lamb of God who gave his life for us. He came to rescue us from our sins. And this is what we read in Revelation 5, beginning at verse 9. And they sang a new song. It captures the language from Psalm 96 that God has done something, something, something new here. He's rescued people from everywhere. We continue. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. God has brought his salvation to all the nations. And so he deserves praise because of what he has accomplished, new songs being sung in heaven 
because of the salvation that has come through Jesus Christ. The, the, the heavenly chorus continues in, in Revelation 5. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The song continues, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. God deserves praise because of the work he has accomplished through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Psalm 96 then tells the, the, offers this command, this, this call to worship to the nations themselves. Look back at verse 7 in Psalm 96. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. They don't merely hear the song, they join in the song because they have been rescued and redeemed by the grace of God. They are to ascribe to the Lord glory. They are to worship the Lord, verse 9, in the splendor of his holiness. The whole earth trembles before God as the gospel is made known among the nations. And what is the truth that is proclaimed? If we were going to summarize or, or give a, a, a heading to this song in Psalm 96, well, we could find it in verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Now this is not merely a broad theological truth. Yes, it is true to just, on any page of the Bible, we could add that description. The Lord reigns in Genesis 1. The Lord reigns in Genesis 2. The Lord reigns even in Genesis 3 as Adam and Eve rebel against him. And on any page of the scriptures, we could add that truth. But it's not merely that we're just looking at the, the abstract theological truth. Here in Psalm 96, it comes as an announcement to the nations. The kingdom of God is here. God's reign, his active work in the world is true right now. The Lord reigns. He has come. His advent is here. As the, the Old Testament would describe the day of God's coming, it, it's the day of the Lord. That's right now the Lord reigns. See, and that's why Psalm 96 gets read on Christmas morning. Because when the king of the universe is held in his mother's arms, then we see really in a new way what this truth means. The Lord reigns. You meet the Lord in the manger in Bethlehem. And so we declare with the nations, the Lord reigns. And the, the reign of the Lord brings with it judgment. Verse 10 says, the world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. God has all power and he will judge the peoples with equity. The psalm then ends in verse 13 with another reminder that when God comes, when we announce this truth, the Lord reigns, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. Now the reign of God when it brings judgment, that should strike fear in our hearts. Because if you have not believed in the God who offers salvation, then you will be punished. His judgment for sin will fall upon you. But in the good news of, the, of that phrase, the Lord reigns, you have the hope that, that it's God himself who has arrived, the Christ child, to deal with the consequences of your sin. You, we sang it together. Nails, spear will pierce him through. Death is on display even in the birth of Christ because that's the purpose for which he came is to give his life for us. And so today, at the arrival of the king, 
Let judgment fall on Jesus Christ the Lamb. Trust and believe. But why does a psalm of praise include praise for God's judgment? A song which, in which we lift our voices, sing, sing, sing. Why, why, does it, why does it exalt in the judgment that God brings? Well, it's because through most of history, and particularly for people in the ancient world, the, the idea of a judge wasn't somebody who would choose between right and wrong. It was the idea of, of somebody to whom his judgment was for sale to the highest bidder. Meaning if you had enough money, then you could bribe the judge to take your side and enforce your position. But if you had neither money nor access to the judge, then you were left without any hope of justice. And so to declare to people who are oppressed, people who, who see the world falling apart around them, which is true sadly today for the, for the people that are poor and marginalized, that they fear that there's little hope of justice. To, to say to somebody in desperate need of rescue, judgment is coming is good news. You mean everything that has been knocked down will be, will be fixed? Everything that is broken will be made right? See, that's what the psalm is declaring. That God is going to fix what has gone wrong. That he is the judge against whom humanity has rebelled, but he is coming to judge the world in truth and in righteousness. He will make right what has gone wrong. See, when you feel the weight of sorrow, listen to this truth. The Lord reigns. In the midst of sorrow and fear, do you know it's Christmas time at all? The Lord reigns. And that's why, why verses 11 and 12 then say, not only will the nations join in giving praise to God, but all of creation will be part of this glorious song. This song will change the world to its very core. Verse 11, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound in all that is in them. The fields, the trees will, will exalt in the glorious arrival of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Because all of creation is strains under the weight of your sin and mine, feeling the pain of suffering. And yet when the king comes, when we can declare with fullness that the Lord reigns, then all will be made right. The Apostle Paul in, in Romans describes the, the suffering that creation feels even now. In, in Romans 8 verse 19 we read, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The heavens and earth, the trees of the field are waiting for the return of Jesus and the revelation of, of the fullness of his kingdom. We, we, we continue in, in Romans 8 verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The whole world, the universe, feels the weight of our sin. And yet Psalm 96, read at Christmas, brings us the hope that the king is coming to put right all that has been broken. Christmas offers us the hope of Jesus' arrival as the king, and when the king comes, he will bring justice. All that has been corrupted will be restored in righteousness. The Belgian city of Ypres 
was devastated by the horrors of World War I. Sitting in Flanders fields, the historic city was laid to ruin. The largest buildings, the cathedral, the great recognizable architectural gems of the city, which, which stretched back in their history to the 1200s, were laid to rubble within two weeks, unrecognizable in the destruction. After four years of war, there was nothing left of this city. Landmarks wiped from the horizon, communities completely flattened. But the king of Belgium announced they would rebuild. Even before the war ended, King Albert announced his plan to help refugees return home. Hundreds of thousands had had to flee the country. And so the king established the King Albert Fund in 1917, more than a year before the end of the war, to build homes for homeless Belgians. Explaining the task to the world, a pamphlet announces the king's fund. Belgium has not perished, and she shall not perish. The day draws near when she will arise whole, greater because of her sacrifice and by her sufferings. The towns and villages destroyed by her barbarous invader must arise from the ashes. Belgium wasn't even initially involved in the war. They just happened to be between Germany's armies and France. And the king knew that his exiled people wanted to return home. We read, they long for all that they have left behind, their loved ones, their country, the homes in which they lived and where they have tasted the joys of life. Announcing plans to rebuild while war still looms may seem naive. And the rebuilding process was neither quick nor easy. But the city of Ypres did rise. Christmas announces the arrival of the king. All that has been destroyed will be rebuilt. King Jesus comes to judge the world in righteousness, to restore what has been destroyed. But it's not merely with the optimism of a, of a pamphlet designed to raise funds from, from people around the world. Christmas announces the arrival of the king himself. The war is one. Justice will come. What you and I long for is guaranteed. Creation will arise from the ashes of the fall. Let the heavens rejoice. The Lord reigns. Let's pray. God of grace, we long for your word to be fulfilled. Lord, not merely in our own hearts that we would turn from sin to put our trust in you, but that we would see the righteousness and justice and goodness of King Jesus in the world around us. And so come, Lord Jesus. Let all that has been destroyed be conquered in your return. For death itself has been defeated in your resurrection, our sins destroyed in your death on the cross, atonement paid for by the lamb who was slain. And so, Lord, help us to put our trust in Jesus as our Savior. Lord, I pray today for those that have heard your word proclaimed, as they have heard your people sing, that they today would turn and put their trust in you. 
Jesus, you are our King. You are the Lord who reigns, so we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.